Welcome to My Aunt is a Nun, in honor of the Sisters of St. Joseph of Peace with the mission of peace through justice for 135 years. My name is Megan Bell, and my aunt is a Catholic nun. This podcast is my attempt to honor my aunt and the many women in her community. I grew up visiting my aunt, and I remember many summers at the convent where I ran the halls, swam in the lake, and played cards with the sisters. 20 years later, my two young boys run those same halls. The number of sisters is diminishing due to age and health, and every time we visit, the pews are less full, the dining room more empty, and the halls quieter. Having grown up with and around the sisters, they offer more than just prayers. They are steeped in wisdom and impart powerful lessons for the present moment, for whoever you are. These women are all nuns, but they are also Zen masters, poets, educators, professionals, and humanitarians. Here are my conversations with each of them. <clears throat> Stories that will enlighten, encourage, and guide you, and explore everything from anxiety to intimacy, prayer to politics, and poverty to justice. Sister Susan DeWitt entered the Sisters of St. Joseph of Peace as an older sister in 1991, just a few days after her 50th birthday. She is an avid reader, and her favorite poets are Gerard Manley Hopkins, Mario Gomez, and Ralkey. She herself is a published author and a poet who didn't publish until I perished. <laughs> her poetry speaks of her tired lungs and difficult breathing her love of the Spanish language, and her fond memories of the people of El Salvador, where she served one of her ministries as the in-country coordinator for Paz Salud, or Peace Health, an experience that had a profound effect on her. Spirit, use me, breath by every breath, to talk through every day the joy and rub of fellowship. Aidame. Que mi lengua se capaz de la arquitectura y la música del español. May I speak this language of courts and angels with respect, with love. Sister Susan DeWitt was born in Boston, youngest of three, by about 13 years, way on the tail end, but only stayed in her birth city for two weeks. This was the beginning of her childhood in an army family, which was difficult for her. I hated the moving. I really did. Uh, I'm not an I'm not an extrovert, so for me having to go to new schools all the time and meet new kids all the time and not feel like really grounded in that place that was really hard. Yeah. As an introvert, Sister Susan spent many hours in solitude and followed her curiosity. This introspection and love of learning led to the life of a seeker. For most of her adult life, she was always searching for something better. She holds several degrees, including one from Harvard and a PhD in English. Seekers are free thinkers who yearn always to understand not only what they are personally interested in, but the bigger world itself. In the process, seekers explore and gather insight. This might lead you to ask, are seekers ever satisfied? Let's ask Sister Susan. 
and sat down with Sister Susan DeWitt on a hot summer day. We have a fan blowing and her oxygen tank sits nearby. She has a rattling cough, but an infectious laugh. Please join me as we follow her journey as a seeker, a poet, and an introvert that found comfort in community. Sister Susan DeWitt took a long journey to religious life, exploring and learning along the way. Let's start by letting her tell her story. (coughs) I went to... uh college at Whitman College uh, and uh, then to graduate school at the UW and eventually got my PhD in English there and then got my first teaching job at the University of New Mexico and was there uh, teaching for about six years but I didn't publish until I perished (laughs) and actually those were lovely years to be teaching English because um, it was a very popular subject <coughs> in ways it's not, I think, now. So I was down in New Mexico. I didn't get tenure. I had to figure out what in the heck I was going to do with my life now. And then um, became the executive director of the, <coughs> the historic Albuquerque Foundation. Yeah. Finding and describing and putting on the National Register the uh, historic places. You know, it was a grand thing to be doing a lot of fun and very lively and interesting time for me. Um, Then I I switched over and I still can't, still don't quite know why, and was working with the city of Albuquerque as a city planner. And that is a whole lot less less satisfying than doing historic buildings because it was being really thrown into the bureaucracy. So I was kind of came to a standstill in my life. It wasn't just in her work life where Sister Susan continued to explore and search for fulfillment. During this time, not much was happening in her religious life. She was not raised Catholic and considered herself agnostic, but she was starting to explore religious groups. Then I met up with a group of uh, New Age people that who had formed a little church called Symphony of Life. And uh, I went to that, got to be a part of that for a while. Um, became really clear to me as I went along, this was not my way. This is not the way I saw God. After that, I met with the Quakers for a while, and they were very much closer to being where I wanted to be. Uh, Really loved that time and getting to know their traditions and history. Things were, you know, kind of okay, but not quite where you'd want to be for the rest of your life. While trying to understand where she belonged and where she was going, Sister Susan had a traumatic event in her life, which changed everything. And I experienced in that that time period being raped in my home, and that definitely kind of reset everything. I mean, I sold the house and I found another place to live, but I also knew that something, I needed to do something more than that. And so I sent off an application to the Harvard Kennedy School 
and they accepted me. So it's a one-year program. They called, called it at that time the Mid-Career Masters. I think also known as the Midlife Masters. Because <laughs> that's mostly who we were. Who you all People were. like me, you know. Okay. Well, my boy isn't quite fitting the degrees I have, and I, yeah. So I, I got a Masters of Public Administration. It did a lot of work on negotiation, uh, and that was the thing that probably interested me the most of all my courses was dealing with the human element of a dilemma. After graduating Harvard, Sister Susan DeWitt worked as the lead planner on the economic development plan for the state of Oklahoma. Great job, it's a miserable experience. It's a really hard place for a single woman uh, with cats and highly liberal, liberal to radical leanings politically. So that was not a good fit. This was when Sister Susan knew some changes needed to be made in her life. And fortunately for her, just the right person came along. So the most probably important and interesting person in my history that I met during that year, uh, we were having our first intake uh, weekend and we were all kind of standing around. So, who shall I talk to? And the extroverts were all chattering happy, happily away. Uh, and I was thinking, feeling shy. And so I saw uh, another woman who was smoking, and I was smoking at the time. Uh, and uh, so I went over and said, well, let's have a cigarette together. She turned out to be a sister of the Sacred Heart. <laughs> to my great surprise, I became good friends and uh, talked a lot during that year about Catholicism and about religious communities and how they worked. I mean, this is something I'd always found interesting, but I never had anybody could really ask all those questions. While trying to focus on what needed to change in her life, besides Oklahoma, Sister Susan was soon invited by her new friends to join one of the yearly wilderness retreats with the Sisters of St. Joseph of Peace. This was an opportunity to see her family and ailing mother in Seattle, take a break from Oklahoma, visit her new friend, and see wilderness country she loved. At first glance, one might say the trip was a disaster. So I went on this retreat so naively, uh, just sort of thinking, well, it'll be so good to get up into the into the wilderness. I just, you know, I really love that country, but nice to be there in a way that's safe with a big group. Mm -hmm. And um, <laughs> so the naive part is that I had brought a tent that would not have kept, welcomed raindrops. <laughs> it said, raindrops, come, come to me. I'm here to channel you onto Susan's face. And everything else I had borrowed from my, from my family was just not exactly warm enough to be up there. My mother was distraught when she saw me uh, with this big backpack. She said, the sisters just want to get hold of you. So I had the inadequate tent, had the inadequate sleeping bag, and it gets really cold at night there. And on the first night, we had Eucharist in a little cabin where four of the sisters, and somebody had messed up the fire, and the room was just full of smoke. So I spent the rest of that week coughing and coughing and coughing and coughing. But the trip was not a disaster. It was a turning point in Sister Susan's life. Okay, so those were all the things that were not right. Everything, everything that mattered 
was. So That's I a just powerful statement. Yeah, I just was totally enraptured by what I was hearing, the way Elizabeth Ann and Kathleen and uh, the Jesuit priest who was with us this year talked about God and talked about faith and I want this. This is this is what I want. So I ended up um, at the end of that retreat saying to myself, you know, I need to come back to Seattle so I can be with my family. I want to be with my mother in her last years. Um, and I need to um, become a Catholic. Wow. That was kind of scary. And so, on the Easter Vigil of 1989, Sister Susan became a Catholic, despite previous reservations. I knew I was lacking something that was central, and I began to touch on it as I, in the, in the various faith groups that I started meeting with, and I just didn't, you know, none of them felt like quite the right place for me. But when I came to the Catholic Church, I could have told you every rational reason why I would never join the Catholic Church. I would never join a church that didn't have women as priests. I would never join a church that uh, had the authoritarian set up that the Catholic Church I could have given you a long list. It didn't seem to matter. Somehow I'd fallen in love there, and that's, that's, that, was, that's that was it. Yeah. That was where God and I were going to have our conversations. You might think that Sister Susan had finally found what she sought. But remember, she's a seeker. It's great. That was wonderful. Woo, I'm a Catholic. Well, I'm in Seattle. Here I am with the family. Um, and then it just wasn't quite enough. And I kept hanging out with Kathleen and Elizabeth Ann and Louise Dumont and that crowd of wonderful women. At some point, I said, I think to Louise, I said, you know, I feel like I'm sort of, as I'm talking to all of you, I'm sort of talking about different hats where I really needed a new pair of shoes. And we got to the point of me saying, I would really like to be a sister. You opened having somebody of my age come in because I was, I turned 50 in uh, 1991. And that was just ahead of me. And they, I don't know what, they must have gone off and talked to each other about this. Oh, we're going to do about this. But they decided to let me in. Bless their hearts. Good for them. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yes, in 19, um, 1991, just a few days after my 50th birthday, wow. I entered the community. What a way to celebrate 50. Yes, I thought it was pretty spectacular. That's pretty great. Yeah. Most of the sisters entered religious life when they were very young, much like my Aunt Sheila, who entered at 17. Those sisters grew up in religious community. However, Sister Susan had a different life experience when entering community as an older sister. She experienced her life as an introvert who was always looking for safety. We discussed community from this perspective. It was one of the things that I most wanted and needed. I knew that. <coughs> um, because my experience of living by my on my own was that I very easily got into sort of 
mini depressions, not deep, dark, black depression, but sort of gray depression. Don't think I want to do anything today. Don't think. Nobody nudging you along to... Yeah, I realized, and this came really clear to me as I began joining the community, that I am just a much, much better person if I'm living with other people. That's powerful learning. It's powerful learning. Yeah. Uh, and it's very true. I'm happier. And Is it just to have, because you're an introvert as well, so yeah. it's interesting to hear that you enjoy people around you. Is it, um, I guess I'm just trying to figure out, it seems a little bit of a dichotomy of, of being an introvert and not and, and yet wanting. Oh, one of the wonderful things about community life is it's a clear rule that when you go into your room and close the door, sure. that nobody's to come in, and, mm -hmm. you know, unless there's a crisis. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. So there never was a problem with having the solitary time. But mm -hmm. at the introvert, my introvert loves to be nurtured. By, this is my idea of a wonderful experience, sitting and talking to somebody I don't know very well, learning more about them. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Mm -hmm. That's great. Hearing how things are going. Yeah, one-on-one yeah, on, one on one conversations or two or three or four people. The Sisters of St. Joseph of Peace provided a community of safety for Sister Susan and a sense of comfort. This support reawoke her gift of language. I had been a poet in some way all my life, but uh, when I came into the community, that's what ignited my, my inner poet and gave her permission. Sister Susan's inner poet ran with that permission and produced many beautiful poems that were published in the community's magazine, Living Peace, and a collection of poems in the book, Traveling Empty. We are the stuck drawer, the door that will not yield to any key. We are a breathing wall of women, men, children, strangers who have never met. Best friends, new friends. We are the wall that cannot be unbuilt or overcome. We are the locked door only fools can enter, only the lost can find. Susan also published the book, We Carry On the Healing, about peace health. One of the biggest legacies of the Sisters of St. Joseph of Peace is peace health. A network of hospitals and healthcare systems that serve the broader community with missions that reach out to the neediest Sister Eleanor Gilmore started a peace health mission called Paz Salud in El Salvador in 1999, at the end of the country's civil war. When Sister Eleanor retired in 2009, Sister Susan took the reins as the in-country coordinator for Paz Salud, and as she put it in her blog, to accompany the people of El Salvador in their lives. My four years in El Salvador was a very important time for me. Paz Salud provided a wide variety of medical services, including primary care, pediatrics, gynecology, and ophthalmology. Ophthalmology was particularly popular as many people in El Salvador had nowhere else to go for glasses. It was Susan's job to ensure that everything was in order for the many medical teams once they arrived. Assembling all the medications, and we needed to go buy plastic bottles. Now, my map of San Salvador is kind of strange. <laughs> plastic bottles here. Here's where you return the beer bottles. Uh, and so purchasing the stuff that we would need during the trip was part of my job. 
making sure the um, legal stuff was all in place was the most important part of my job. Uh, and making sure that the retreat house where we would stay was really ready and was going to feed us in ways that would not lead to people spending the day hunched over the john. So, yeah, very important. And then also working with the volunteers in the local community. Indeed, we have all been well fed at San Juan Opico, in body and in spirit. As usual, we are the ones who were ministered to as we learn to weep and rejoice with the beautiful people of San Juan Opico. Sister Susan spent so much of her life seeking, exploring, learning, and discovering. She found answers, some more satisfying than others. With the Catholic Church and religious life, she found satisfaction and strong friendships. But it wasn't until she served her ministry in El Salvador when she found fulfillment and happiness in strong bonds with the people of El Salvador who have a daily life struggle. What I like is people just being on equal terms as the base for any good conversation. Uh, so it was, the thing that was hard in El Salvador was getting past that. Um, getting into situations where you're having a real conversation with people, which, thank God, I was able to do. That was certainly valuable. Mm -hmm. And sometimes just sitting down and listening. Salvadorans love to tell stories, and I love to hear stories. So that was a great match. Then. So how did that that time in El Salvador change you? Did it change Oh, my you? gosh. It changed me uh, so much. I think... Um, one of the things that I, I found hard in some ways was that, first of all, they made it, the Salvadorans made it so easy for me, uh, especially once I was living in Suchitoto and was sort of in place with people who knew me and knew where I was. Uh, But they also gave me sort of like super white privilege. Interesting. So I was a sister mm -hmm. and yeah. somebody who'd come down to be with them. Mm -hmm. They saw me as doing something important and remarkable. I saw them as leading daily lives that put mine to shame. Isn't that an interesting? Yeah because of their, the heroism and the courage it takes to live on the edge, as so many of them do, almost all of them. Just the strength that those people had. Sister Susan found many magical moments during her time with the people of El Salvador who had a profound effect on her. You can hear those moments in her poetry and from the blog she kept during her mission in El Salvador. It was like driving along beside one of the books of ours that shows people at work in their daily lives. Like driving along a Brugal painting. All those ordinary, holy lives being lived in plain view. All involved with the sweat of their hands and the weight of the earth. I see them every time I drive this road, which is lots. But today, 
Today I saw them and I am humbled by them, and I know how much I'm going to miss them. And how beautiful and solid are these lives lived in deep connection with the earth and water and families. Looking from here, our lives feel transient, transparent, shadowy, and concerned with shadows. Sister Susan will always have a curiosity in learning and discovering more. One tool she uses to find answers is through her poetry. For her, poetry is prayer. So in sharing your story, I also picked up that you are a seeker. True. And that you were often unfulfilled at times, that as a seeker there was something you were trying to fill. Mm -hmm. Did finding the church or becoming a part of this community fill that for you? It did. It did? It did. And are you still a seeker? You know I probably, yes. Yes. Yes, I am. Mm -hmm. And you hit on that poetry, it sounded like was, you wrote poetry, and so that was probably your art, but also your your way and you demonstrated maybe faith or shared your faith, but didn't... It is, it is a way I pray. It's not Thank the you. only way I pray, but it is a way I pray. Growing up in the Catholic faith, I always struggled with the definition of prayer. For me, the definition has evolved. When I was younger, I always felt it meant to be still and silent. Yet as a volunteer with the Jesuit Volunteer Corps, I read something that resonated, that the Lord hears you in your tears, your screams, your words. As I speak to the sisters, I'm realizing that the definition is a personal experience. I asked Sister Susan what prayer was like for her. You know, I've, I've have had times when I felt like, oh, I must not be doing this right, um, which I think could easily be put on somebody who's new in the Catholic Church and surrounded by sisters who've been doing it. But I feel like uh, I've come to a place where I know spirit is with me. I don't know about the definitions of anything and I don't much care. That's why poets aren't philosophers. But that this um, version of the of Catholicism that I've been living uh, is a good one and a healthy one, uh, and leads us to connect with other people in ways that are hopeful. Spare, be saving with me. Don't rip through me. Unfold me gently. A parcel worth opening. A gift worth waiting for. Savor, be sparing with me. Don't put me to the test. I will fail. Turn me until you find my best angle. Look for my true name, the only name you know, and speak it. Thank you for joining me in my conversation with Sister Susan DeWitt. I left this conversation proud of the community I have created for myself. Always remember that while you hold high respect for some, know that they are also looking up to you and equally value what you offer. 
And most importantly, know that despite what is going on in your life, there is great importance in seeking and always searching for what fulfills you. After all, you might be shopping for a new hat when what you really need is a new pair of shoes. Sister Susan was a seeker who in the end was fulfilled by the peace in her heart and the community she found in the Sisters of St. Joseph of Peace, a place where she felt safe and loved. Sister Susan Vera DeWitt passed away peacefully on January 14, 2020. Her passing saddens me deeply, but it is a blessing to have known her and a privilege to tell her story. This experience has strengthened my resolve to tell the stories of these wonderful women. Join me on our next episode of My Aunt is a Nun when we speak to Sister Angela McCarthy, an Irish poet who crossed the Atlantic on the Queen Mary and says the gift of love is a gift of self. You may not have an aunt who is a nun, but you now have a nun in your pocket. This podcast was produced by Megan Bell and Carrie Watson. Sound design, musical curation, and additional editing by Charlie Spears. Theme music by William Stover.